0: Father, we we praise you, Lord, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you for creating us in your image as men and as women. Uh, We pray as we explore this this sensitive yet significant issue for us today, Lord, that we would find great comfort and peace and joy uh, in the gospel today, Lord, in your grace and your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, recently, my wife and I, we watched this TV series called Super Pumped. Has anyone seen this before? No, it's worth a watch. Super Pumped is based on the book by the same title, and it follows the rise and fall of Travis Kalanick, uh, known as TK for short. He was the CEO and co founder of Uber. And, uh, TK, he was this passionate yet aggressive entrepreneur who set out to, tr- to transform and disrupt the trans- transportation industry back in 2009. And in many ways, he did. Yet as the series unfolds, uh, stories emerge of a toxic culture within the company. Uh, Austin Gate, Uber employee number four, she was a smart and confident woman. She was the head of global uh, expansion at Uber, and in this scene in one of the episodes, uh, she's at a company holiday party, and uh, she is interacting with one of the, the men who's high up in the legal department, and he gets drunk, he begins to flirt with her, and he hits on her. And he gropes her. She's sexually abused. She immediately, she goes and tells TK, who seems empathetic at first, that he's going to do something about this. This is not right. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Because the toxicity was deeply embedded in the culture of the company and the leadership team. And growing complaints emerge from other women in the organization who encounter further abuse. And in 2017, after a series of of privacy scandals, discrimination, and sexual harassment, uh, the investors, they forced TK to resign as CEO. But Uber's sexist culture uh, doesn't stop there. The following year, a study was conducted of internal pay differentials between men and women. And they found that, in this study, that men Uber drivers were paid 7% more than female Uber drivers. And the researchers, uh, they concluded that the gap was due to three behavioral differences. Firstly, due to experience. Men just drive more hours per week than women. Secondly, due to safety, as men were more likely to take those uh, higher surges late at night to places that uh, females might feel unsafe, you know, going down to Little Mallop Street on a Friday night and picking up those drunks. Or thirdly, due to speed, as men tend to drive faster than women. I can certainly testify to that one in my home. (laughs) But some they thought this study didn't show discrimination. You know, men just get paid more because they work harder and faster and longer than women. Yet others they recognize this gender gap as the result of a sexist culture in Uber. Women were not valued, they were belittled and they were disrespected. It's certainly revealing, isn't it? There seems to be this inequality between the genders that's existed for centuries but still exists today. And this problem is not just political, it's personal. And my hunch is that many people in this room have encountered this inequality. It's not just out there in the world It's in the home, in the workplace, and even in the church. Well, today we're going to continue our series left and right, and we're going to be looking at this issue of gender equality. And uh, as we explore this issue, we're going to discover not just what the problem is with gender equality, but what the Bible has to say about it and what Jesus has to say today to us in this political age. I've got two points to guide our time together. Firstly, the gender problem, and secondly, the gospel pattern. So let's look at the gender problem. So gender equality is not just an Uber issue, it's a global issue. According to the 2022 Global Gender Gap Report, Australia is ranked 43 out of 147 countries. When we consider politics, we've certainly come a long way in Australia. In 1902, we were the second nation in the world in which women could vote. In 1974, the uh, the minimum wage was extended to women workers. In 1990, Victoria was the first state to have a female premier. In 2010, we elected our first female Prime Minister, Uh, in 2019 we we passed our first gender equality bill and today the Victorian government boasts that we have over 50% 50 women candidates in their party. But when it comes to the left and right, I think we'd be largely in agreement that we want equality. Who doesn't want equality, right? But the question is, Equality of what? The issue of gender equality is is broad and it's complex, but it's fundamentally one of differing ideologies. The left largely sides with equality of outcome, whereas the right sides with equality of opportunity. Equality of outcome is like things like quotas. You know, there has to be a 50-50 split of men and women in organizations, equal conditions or results for men and women. But equality of opportunity is about qualifications. Organizations can hire men or women as long as they are the best person for the job. They should not discriminate against women based on gender or race or wealth, but it on competency, and whether you lean left or whether you lean right, neither perspective is perfect. If you push equality of outcome to the extreme, then women represent just a number on a quota, and they're not seen for the value that they bring uh, to an organization. But if you push equality of opportunity to the extreme, then you may consider women for leadership positions, but not seek to educate them or mentor them or, de- or develop them from a young age. But regardless of which position you hold to, uh, we need to acknowledge the overwhelming testimony of women that says they've been mistreated, maligned, and discriminated against. And while there's been some good progress that's been made, we don't yet have equality. But gender equality is not just about women. Uh, Australia's sex discrimination commissioner, Kate Jenkins, she famously said, "'Gender equality is not just a women's issue, it's a societal issue. It's an issue for both men and women. It's an issue for all people, for all humanity. That's why I think it's impor- important to address the elephant in the room that I am a male.'" I'm a male. You see, gender equality cannot happen without men and women advocating for equality, celebrating our differences. And as a husband and and a father, I'm deeply concerned of this issue for the future generations of our kids. I have a son. I have two daughters. And over the past couple of weeks, I've reached out to a number of women within our church community uh, to get their thoughts on this issue as well. Women of different ages, uh, races, uh, experiences, and backgrounds. So I hope as a male that I can represent the many voices in our church community. I love what one of the, the, the uh, older women in our community says. She says, My hope for the future with gender equality is that women will be valued and accepted for who they are. That women will not be discriminated against just because they are a woman. My prayer is that society can get back to godly principles, where people can love one another as Christ instructed us to do. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world to be living in? Such beautiful words. And I hope that you can grasp a similar vision for that today. Well, it's important for us not to be swayed by either, uh, either ideology, but to explore this issue by opening God's word together and seeing what Jesus has to say about this today. So my second point, the gospel pattern. Uh, we're going to spend a little bit longer uh, on this point because it's important to look at the Bible and see what Jesus has to say to us. Uh, and in the Bible, we encounter the gospel pattern of creation, fall, and and redemption. So we're going to use that as a, as a framework for us as we look at this issue today. So firstly, let's look at creation. Let's turn to the beginning, back to Genesis chapter 1. We read that God creates the world. He creates the light. He creates the day and the night. He creates uh, the skies and the lands, the, the plants and the trees. He creates all the animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, the animals on the ground. And after all this, God says, this is good. This is good. And then we reach the pinnacle of creation. Turn with me in your Bibles or look on the screen to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Let us make man... Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Just pause there and note that the the plural pronouns there. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The climax of creation is humanity that men and women are created in the image of God, not to be like God. Sorry, not to be God, but to be like God, to be distinct from all creation. Men and women are created to reflect God's character, God's goodness. His holiness, His love, His beauty, but they're also to reflect His rule, to reign and rule over God's creation, to have dominion over the earth, to steward God's creation. And it's important to see that right from the beginning, right from the beginning, men and women were created equal, equal in God's image, equal in essence. We read in in the following chapter that that Eve is created from Adam's rib. She is literally created from his side to to, uh, partner with him. And the two become one flesh. And the the creation account, it it ends with Adam as he rejoices and he sings about his wife, about Eve. And then God says that creation, that, that humanity is not just good but very good. It's very good. But equality, it doesn't mean sameness. Well, they were equal in essence, they also had some differences. Uh, we see this in chapter 2. Uh, after God creates Adam from the dust, he puts him... In a beautiful garden. And he tasks him to, to work it and to keep it. And then following this, we read in chapter 2, uh, verse 18. The Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, I don't think, God, uh, I don't think Adam was lonely I mean, Adam was in the garden with the Trinitarian God. He was walking with God, but God recognizes that this task for Adam is not one that he could do on his own. So what does he do? He tries to find a helper fit for him, and he brings to him all these different animals. He brings to him snakes and tigers and sharks and and flamingos, and he may have come close with the monkeys, but he, he recognizes that none of these are fit for him to be a helper So what does he do? He creates Eve. He creates a woman. Now God could have created another man, but he doesn't. He creates a woman. Why does he do that? Well, the obvious answer is is procreation, right? To fulfill the mandate, to multiply the earth. However, it's more than just making babies. Eve is described as a helper. She's a helper. She had a distinct role. Now, this word helper is, is not to belittle Eve and her responsibility. I mean, the Holy Spirit is described as a, as a helper throughout the Scripture. Rather, it's to emphasize her, her distinct role, that she is a co-partner. She is a co-ruler, a co-laborer alongside Adam Men need women. Women need men. Men complement women, and women complement men. We're dependent upon each other for human flourishing. And you see, from the very beginning, God had a beautiful vision for gender equality to see men and women created equal, working together, reflecting God's image. Ruling over creation, using their distinct roles to steward God's creation. But the tragedy is this beautiful vision that that God creates from the very beginning is distorted. And all attempts to see human flourishing is frustrated because of the fall. In Genesis 3, uh, the serpent enters the scene, and the serpent tempts Eve and Adam to eat from the fruit that God commanded them not to eat from. And following this, God turns to Eve and Adam, and he says to them, firstly to Eve in, in verse 16 of chapter 3, "'I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing.'" In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, shall be for your, your, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then he turns to Adam, and he says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Sadly, sin enters into the world. There will now be physical pain in birth and in work. There will be relational strain in marriages. There will be an imbalance of the genders. And Eve's desires will be contrary to her husband's. And Adam's desire will be to rule over his wife. And we see this, don't we, throughout the Scriptures. Abraham, he sleeps with his concubine to try and fulfill God's promise to take things into control, into his own hands. Lot's daughters, they get him drunk and they sleep with him. Solomon has seven hundred wives that lead him astray from God, and David, King David, a man after God's own heart, what does he do? He he rapes a woman, kills her husband to cover it up. But this this is also the world that we find ourselves in today, isn't it? In the home, the workplace, and the church. Well, due to sin, there's inequality in the home, uh, in our relationships. And while abuse does happen to, to men, there's an overwhelming number of cases against women. According to the Australian Human Rights Commission, one woman, one woman is killed every week due to domestic violence. One in four women will be in an emotionally abusive relationship. One in three women have experienced physical or sexual violence since the age of 15. And one in two women have experienced sexual harassment in their lifetime. This is devastating. And I feel the weight of this today because in this room are many women Many women, sisters in Christ, women who I'm sure have encountered this issue of abuse, uh, mistreatment, and sexual harassment. And and if you've personally experienced this, then please know that that we want to support you. We want to care for you, pray for you, give you the help that you might need. Because sexual abuse is wrong. It goes against God's vision to see humanity flourish. It it distorts relationships between men and women. It sins against the very image of God. Sin enters into the home. Sin also extends into the workplace. According to the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, a report came out in February this year uh, which revealed that there is a 22.8% pay gap between men and women. It also highlighted the differences in power. And if you turn your eyes to the the graph on the screen, you'll see this disparity between the genders. The grey colour represents uh, males and the yellow represents females. And while the Australian workforce is almost 50-50 split, With men and women, there's a significant amount of gray in all areas of leadership. Men are the dominant decision makers in any organization. Uh, Commenting on this uh, similar issue, one of the women in our church says, I've experienced significant challenges in the workplace. These include stereotyping. The expectation is that a woman takes the meeting notes or is considered an ad, as it's considered an admin task, which is a woman's job. Or men are more likely to successfully ne- negotiate a higher salary than what women are. Or barriers to career progression because you're a working mum. Now, the government is seeking to to make change in this area, and in many ways, we've we've come a long way. According to the same report, it revealed that 4 in 10 employees have narrowed the gap, the pay gap, since last year. And there are now 41% female managers, which is up from 36% almost 10 years ago. ago. However, there's still a long way to go. Uh, Recently, I watched uh, or started watching a doco series called "Fearless: The Inside Story of the AFLW." And in the opening scene, uh, Chelsea Randall, she's the captain of the Adelaide Crows, as uh, she says, "Before AFLW, there was an element of disrespect towards women playing football, and comments like, "You belong back in the kitchen," or, "Go play a sport for girls." So then I wanted to prove people wrong because women do belong on the big stage and they 've got something to offer this great game. These women they fought for equality in sport it wasn 't easy, but I believe that we can make a difference in our society by using our influence and I have a particular uh, challenge for some of the men in this room because that report says, the data says, there's more men in leadership in our organization. So men, if you are in a position of power, of leadership, then you can make a change. You can make a change to raise up women, to encourage women, to empower women, to mentor women. Don't let sin devalue women or strip them of their dignity. Give them a voice in the workplace. Give them respect in the workplace. Give them opportunities to use their gifts and their skills. Well, sadly, due to sin, this issue of inequality is in the home, the workplace, and even in the church. Uh, Last year, I I read a book uh, called A Church Called Tove. It's written by a guy called Scott McKnight and uh, his daughter, Laura Laura Barringer. And the book, it builds a case for forming a culture of goodness within the church, one that resists abuses of power and promotes healing. And uh, it was quite a confronting read because the story follows their own journey, And uh, they were both part of a church called Willow Creek uh, in in the the United States. And if you know Willow Creek, uh, their founding pastor, Bill Hybels, he resigns due to allegations of misconduct and sexual abuse. And this was a church known for embracing gender equality and for really paving a lot of the, the way for many of modern churches today. And I'm, I'm grieved to hear stories like this, not just of misconduct, of highballs, but of how sin taints the image of God. The church can often do poorly with modeling God's vision for gender equality. City on a Hill, we, we are a church uh, with complementarian convictions. Which means that we believe that men and women are better together. Men and women complement one another. Men and women are equal, yet also different and distinct. They have different roles, responsibilities. And in the church, uh, this means that we believe that the role of a pastor and a preacher is a role that's reserved for qualified men. Now, I know there's people in our community that might not have the same beliefs as that, but you're welcome here. You're welcome in our community. And I don't have time to unpack our theological convictions. We could be here for another hour or two, but I am more than happy to, to chat with you about this after the service. But what I want to note or highlight is that we aren't perfect as a church, we're not perfect. As a church, we certainly have room to grow in this area. In fact, as I reached out to some of the women this past week, there's a surprising number of women uh, who raised the issue of gender stereotypes in the church. And while this is an area that crosses over into other uh, spheres of life, I think there's a, a challenge or even a rebuke here for us as a church. One woman said, probably most disappointing was the challenges and criticism I faced in my Christian community. Comments like, mums should look after their own children. Why will you have children if you're not willing to quit your job and be there for them? Reality was that most times I had no choice. Or another woman, she said, the times when I've noticed my gender impacting things is within church or Christian communities. The instances that stand out to me are usually linked to stereotypes again, with people handing me babies, assuming I know what I'm doing uh, with children, or that I want to hold their child, or assuming I want to be involved in children's ministry. Now, I don't think this is just an issue for women, but it's clear that some of us uh, unhealthfully place gender stereotypes on others in our church community. The Bible doesn't say that if you're a mom, you can't work. Or if you're a dad, you can't stay at home. There is freedom here. So we should not give space to unhealthy stereotypes. We need to be careful with our words and build one another up. as people in our community have been hurt. They felt judged uh, or criticized for being a working mom or a stay-at-home dad. And this is what sin does, doesn't it? It brings pain and hurt, just like we heard back in the Garden of Eden. And if we have failed at this as a church, And some of us might need to repent of this, or repent of this together, to turn away from sin and say sorry, not only to God, but to one another, to our brother or sister in Christ whom we've hurt. Well, despite the fall and the inequality that we encounter in the home, the workplace, and in the church, there is still hope. There is still hope because of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at next. Uh, in, the, in the Gospels, we, we read that Jesus enters the stage of human history as a man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, a woman. Jesus uh, enters into a culture, a culture which disrespects women. There's... This is a culture where women are severely disadvantaged, where baby girls were often killed at birth, where many women often died during birth, giving birth, where men greatly outnumbered women. In fact, Aristotle once said that women are a defective form of human. Ouch. (laughs) So Jesus encounters with women... Are counter-cultural. They're counter-cultural. There are countless examples of this throughout the New Testament, as Jesus empathizes with women. Jesus heals women. Jesus casts out demons from women, and throughout his actions, we see that Jesus values women. Jesus respects women. Jesus loves women. And not only that, uh, he partners with women in ministry. We see that Jesus seeks opportunity for women to use their gifts. Jesus teaches and challenges women. Jesus trusts them with gospel ministry. And that's what we want to see here today in our church, that women use their gifts as they cultivate them, to use them in the church as they contribute to the mission of the church, as they complement men in leadership and ministry and serving in the church. Well, there's one uh, encounter between Jesus and a woman that that stands out to me in John's gospel. Uh, And after hearing the news of his good mate, Lazarus, who's sick, uh, Jesus decides to go visit him, along with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus, why does, he, why does he want to see them? It says because he loves them. He loves them. They're his friends, Lazarus, Mary and Martha. And when Jesus enters uh, to the town where, where, where Lazarus is, he hears that Lazarus has died. He's been dead for four days. And in this moving scene with Martha, he says these words. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? To which she replies, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. And then Jesus, he weeps over his dead friend before raising him to life. Martha's one of the, the first people in the Bible to believe that Jesus is the Christ. But what's more remarkable is that Jesus has the power to raise the dead, and this is demonstrated in his own, his, his own death, isn't it? As Jesus dies upon the cross, he takes upon our sin and the penalty that we deserve, the sin of inequality between relationships, between men and women. And he rises victorious over death. Over the enemy. This is good news. And I love these words from one of the women in our community who says, I find great comfort knowing God created women and saves women through Jesus in the same way that he saves men. What a beautiful reminder that the gospel is good news, not just for women, but for men For both men and women, because Jesus saves both men and women. And what's more, Jesus gives us hope today because of our union in Christ. As we heard in that video at the beginning in Galatians chapter 3, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Those who believe in Jesus are one in Christ. That doesn't mean we don't have differences. But does mean that our standing before God is one of equality. We are united to Christ. We are united to each other because of what Jesus has achieved for us on the cross. And we look to the future when Jesus will return, where sin will be no more, where humanity will be restored, a day in which there is no more inequality between the genders, a day in which there is no more abuse in the home, in the workplace, or in the church. This should give us great comfort today as we look forward to that vision, as we fight for justice today and strive for equality, as we see men and women truly valued for who they are and for what they can bring, to see our differences celebrated, to see humanity flourish. Wouldn't that be a wonderful day to be living in? Well, I'm going to close our time together uh, in prayer, but I don't want to just pray my prayers. Um, So I've actually, I asked a bunch of the women uh, that I reached out to what their hopes and their prayers might be for the future. And I had some amazing uh, responses. So I'd love to pray their prayers. So would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, Help us to understand your design for men and women. That our identity is in you as we are created in your image as equal yet different. Help us to know the value, the hope, the comfort, the security and peace and joy that this brings. Lord, we're sorry and we ask for forgiveness for the times that sin distorts your design for men. And women, give us wisdom when engaging with these issues. Give us clarity on where we are to be involved. And help us to speak up and act in a way that is God-honoring. Lord, give us a heart to listen to the oppressed. Give us compassion and curiosity and ask questions and understand the issues. Help us in humility to educate ourselves And winsomely speak your truth into this space. And finally, Lord, we pray for a deep sense of trust in you. We are ambassadors, but you are sovereign over all. You are at work, so help us not to be disheartened in the mess. But may we trust you in all things, knowing you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Help us to surrender that control and trust you. In Jesus' name.